Welcome to the Made Men Project. This is your man, DB. Transform from trauma victim into a victor over trauma and your emotional empowerment coach. You are now inside the project where every Monday we're bringing you an empowering person or message to dismantle society's false sense of masculinity and change the male narrative. Thanks for coming through today. All I can do is seek the information that'll make me stronger, that'll help me overcome my toxic masculinity, my male privilege, because there's something you never think about. Nate Parker. My guest today is the Chief Executive Officer of Vector Environmental Services and co-founder of the Second Story Project, my good friend, Chad Callen. Chad recently founded an organization dedicated to cultivating equity and collaboration in organizations through the power of facilitated dialogue. Chad is also an anti-racism activist and board member of the Energy Diversity Council. This is going to be a great show. Make sure you leave a rating and review. Also, be sure to share, share, share with those you think who will benefit from this show. The Made Men Project is for every man and every woman that has men in her life that she loves and cares for. Now, let's get to the show. Hey, yo, fellas, we, we made men. We made men. Try to believe that within. I just want to be a good man. Okay. I know you all, but tell me you a good man. Tell me you're a So many men are being crushed Societal demands to be tough Yes you, yes you are enough I just wanna be a good man I can't relate to you brother cause you're a Yes you are a I'm right beside you, I'm right behind you I know that life could be hard right? You're not a coward, you got the power For talking about your stars No, you're not soft Let me inspire you, empower you because Society may want to see you fall You got another brother to call So many men are being crushed Societal demands to be tough Yes, you, yes, you are enough Don't bluff, okay I can't relate to you brother Cause you're a Yes, you are a Hey, I'm here my brother I love you. Yes, you, yes, you are enough. I just want to be a good man. I can't relate to you, brother, because you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man. What's up, family? Welcome back to the Made Men Project. This is your man, DB. And today I'm bringing on the Chief Executive Officer of Vector Environmental Services and co-founder of the Second Story Project, my good friend, Chad Kellen. Chad recently founded an organization dedicated to cultivating equity and collaboration in organizations through the power of facilitated dialogue. Chad is also an anti-racism activist and a board member of the Energy Diversity Council. Today, Chad is going to help me dismantle society's false sense of masculinity because so many men are being crushed on the societal demands to be tough, denying the kind of vulnerability, sensitivity, or any internal hurt and pain. It's time to change that narrative. It's going to be a great show with so many things you guys are going to pay attention to. But first, really quickly, if you're a man who knows that you have the potential to do great things, but just not sure how to get from where you are to where you want to be, trapped in mental and emotional bondage, and being crushed under self-limiting beliefs and behaviors, it's time to stop struggling with the stress, anxiety, self-doubt, and fear, and look me up on LinkedIn at DB Empowers and send me a message, and we will book your free no pitch clarity call so you can learn about me and my team and if and how we can help you master your emotions and experience more confidence, certainty, and authenticity within the next 60 days. Okay, Chad, what's up, my man? Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Derek, man. It's good to be joining you. I've been been following you for a while on LinkedIn, man. I'm really impressed with the work you're doing. So 
I'm excited about this conversation. Oh man, yes, sir, brother. Thank you, man. I'm excited about it too. You 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 have been a loyal supporter of me and my movement, man. I just want to say I appreciate you for taking the time to come on today, man. I, I Absolutely. really do. Absolutely. Yeah, man, that's great. So I want to jump right into it, brother. And then we got a lot of we want to talk about, man. You got so many interesting things going on, but I want to start with you when you was growing up, man. As you was growing up, who and what was your example of a man? So my example, I guess the, the most obvious one was my dad. You know, he was 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 in the Navy. Um, you know, he was a, a quiet guy, man of few words. Mm-hmm. You know, he liked to uh he liked to come home from work, have dinner on the table, eat dinner, and then grab a newspaper, sit in front of the TV, you know, and um yeah. and uh so he was, you know, he was obviously the the most impactful, you know, and I had coaches and teachers along the way. Um but you know, my dad. Uh, you know, he was he was the one who made his his biggest imprint on me. Ah, that's great, man. That's great. So when you were growing up, like, what did being a man mean to you? Man, it was about it was all about providing financial support mm-hmm. and stability. You know, there was there was uh, there was no you know he you know I, I know my dad loved me, but he didn't say it. You know, yeah. it was about yeah. it it was about uh, you know going to work providing for the family, keeping a roof over our head, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't about, you know, emotional support. It was, you know, just being a man meant going to work, supporting the family financially. Yeah, man. I get it, man. I get it. And that, in that day and age, man, that, that's what it was really about, man. Man, oh, yeah. express those emotions. Do you feel that kind of had an impact on the way you deal with emotions? Oh, with, without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, I, I can see myself, um, you know, if I'm not careful, I can see myself following in those same patterns of getting home from work, um, getting on, get my face in front of a computer screen, and then my wife or my daughter will have a question, and and I just get, you know, sometimes I can catch myself getting frustrated that they want my attention, and I just want yeah. to sit and get quiet, and um, so it's a tough cycle, man. It's it, it's a, a you know, it was it was it was firmly implanted in me, you know, that that behavior of a man, and and uh, I, I have to catch myself often you know yeah yeah Yeah. i get it man so talk to me about what made you the man you are today and when i say that i don't i don't want you and i I get a lot of oh well you know i started here i did this and now i'm here right talk about what actually got you to where you at now because i know you had to overcome some challenges and some struggles and the reason why i say this because so many men think they're stuck in like a silo, like they're mm-hmm. isolated and that those are the only ones that have to go through something. They're the only ones dealing with something. They don't understand right. how common challenges are, how you're going to have setbacks. You're going to have things that try to knock you down. And it's also about, it's all about persevering and how you respond to it. So talk to me about what got you to the point you're at right now to CEO, to your story project, to everything you got going on. What got you to this place? Yeah. So Man, that's a, uh, there's a lot of ways to go with that one. You know, a lot of it really came to a head when I moved to Houston. I had, uh, you know, I went through a period of, of alcohol abuse and was, mm. you know, heavy drinking and, and about 11 years ago, mm. I, uh, I got sober finally. And, um, and then coincidentally, a few months after that, I moved to Houston from New Orleans, just, you know, for work reasons and stuff. Yeah. Um, Got over here, uh, didn't know anybody. Um, my wife now was my girlfriend at the time. She was still back in the world. And so I was over here kind of, uh, you know, just alone. And um, 
got connected with a group of men called the Mankind Project, you know, and, and, and um, did a weekend with them. And, and really it was the first time that I was challenged to look at myself, look at kind of my beliefs about myself, uh, what beliefs were holding me back and, and really more importantly, where those beliefs came from. Yeah. Um, and that really put me on a path of trying to really looking at uh, investigating myself, you know, and how I show up in the world, yeah. um, what works for me, what doesn't. Um, and, and, uh, and then that kind of pushed me forward, you know, got me into the, into the uh, really getting involved with anti-racism work with an organization here mm-hmm. Um, an organization in New Orleans that I do some work <clears throat> with um, and, uh, you know, really just pushed me forward to, to, to show up better, you know, show up more like, show up more like I wanted to. And a lot of that dealt with the stuff you talk about all the time, man, and, mm-hmm. and looking at those wounds from my past and how I, how I took on those messages that I need to be perfect. And that I, that if I can't do it perfectly, don't do it. And, and, you know, all that stuff, that imposter syndrome stuff that, yeah. that so many men carry around. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful, man. That is powerful. So we know that when it comes to addiction, when it comes to substance abuse, when it comes to these things, it's a hole we're trying to fill. It's something we're trying to mask for you it was alcohol. For me, it was sex. What were you trying to cover? What were you trying to, hide from or neglect or push away with your drinking? Man, so there was, for me, you know, one of the big ones was, you know, I felt like I always had to be the responsible one, right? So I grew up in a house where, you know, in addition to, you know, my dad being a little emotionally aloof, he was also an alcoholic, right? And okay. my, my, my mom was, uh, suffered from bipolar disorder. Mm. And, and my house was full of, you know, substance abuse and, and mental illness. Um, I have two older brothers and we've all struggled, you know. Um, but my dad died when I was 17. Mm. And just based on circumstances, you know, I was the youngest of three, but I had to be the become the man of the house, you know. And, and um, so that constant having to be perfect, right, and having to carry the load all the time, yeah. alcohol gave me an escape from that alcohol mm-hmm. let me kind of let loose um not have to be you know the carrier of burdens i could just go out and and kind of yeah. be carefree in a sense yeah um that was one of them and, and there's another one derek that i you know so i'm gonna i'll tell on myself what i don't want you to know is i didn't like myself a whole lot so if mm-hmm. i could go out and and uh and make people laugh and become someone different, you know, um, their acceptance, you know, kind of filled the hole of where my acceptance, my self-acceptance was lacking. Yeah. That's, that's powerful, man. And that's so relatable. Though, man. That's so common. We don't like the version of ourselves that are looking back at us in the mirror. So we try to hide from that. Mm-hmm. We try to escape that. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I definitely get it, man. So to get from, where you where you were with the alcoholism, with the self-image, the way you viewed yourself in your circumstances. Yeah. What was the hardest part for you about that transition? Uh, man, the hardest part was really letting people in, you know, because I, you know, it was it was really opening up and being authentic with people because I was so used to wearing a mask. You know, I would yeah. I, I used to joke that I was a chameleon and I would I would make myself fit anything. If you if I walked in the room and the room needed a comedian, I'd try to be the comedian. And mm-hmm. if it needed a intellectual, I'd try to be the intellectual. And if it, you know, mm-hmm. um, but to to open myself up and be vulnerable with people in an honest way 
was really the hardest, you know, and, and I still struggle with that, man. I, I try to be more active on LinkedIn. I try to be a little bit like you and, uh, and put some stuff out there. And every time I put it out there, I'm like, man, is this, you know, is this exactly what I want to say? Is this exactly how I want to say it? And then, you know, try to remind myself that it's okay to be vulnerable. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah, man. That's, that's so critical, man. That's, and it's okay to be vulnerable, brother. And it's okay to be to put yourself out there, man, because yeah. This is one of the main reasons why we're doing this because you're not the only one. Right. There's so many men who are suffering in silence and isolation because they don't want to allow themselves to be vulnerable. Yep. They don't want to share the things that they're dealing with and they don't understand that that's what's keeping them trapped. Yeah. But we Derek, it, it, it wasn't safe for us to be vulnerable, right? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And, and that's why we carry that with us because you know, my family needed me to be strong all the time. Right. So I couldn't show vulnerability. I couldn't show any, any kind of flaws. I had to be strong and, and perfect. And I'm sure there's some of that in you, you know, where it, that, where it wasn't safe to be vulnerable. Um, and that's why it was been so hard for me, to, you know, and, and the message that I had to learn really is, yeah, that that's part of me, right. That message that it's not safe to be part and it protected me and it served me for a time. Yeah but it doesn't always serve me now. Right. And yeah. when it does, I need to put it away. That's, that's a good point, man. It wasn't safe. So the flip side of that coin for me, when I say it wasn't safe to be vulnerable, literally it was not safe. It was right. life threatening to grow up in my community and to be deemed, to be deemed as vulnerable because we equate vulnerability with weakness. Yep. We equate, we equate vulnerability with an easy pick. Like yep. we can get a quick win. So, we could not allow ourselves in the black community going up, growing up through the crack era, going up through the gangs. You couldn't be viewed as weak, <clears throat> as soft. And that was just a misconception we had on what vulnerability really is. So I definitely get that, man. I definitely get your point about safety, man. And, and, and it is crucial. It is tough, man, because we get conflicting messages when it comes to vulnerability. So yep. we talked about emotion. We touched on emotions a little bit earlier. Your dad wasn't really emotional available, emotionally available. What about you right now? When it comes to your emotions, what's harder for you? Is it harder for you to identify what you feel, process through what you feel, or express what you feel? Oh, man, I still struggle with expressing it, you know, to yeah. be honest, it, it, in most situations. Now, I have a, yeah. you know, I have a nine-year-old daughter. I'm blessed to have a, you know, a, a, a healthy wife and daughter. And, and <clears throat> with uh, with my daughter, you know, I'm, I'm open. You know, I, I, I can I can do it all. Um but but even with my wife and with people close to me, you know, other people close to me, I struggle with showing my emotions. I still um, want to sit with it, try to process it all out. So when I do have the discussion, you know, um, I got all my stuff together, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so really expressing it, um, and even sometimes even joy. You know, I, I find myself, you know, just struggling to be joyful and it's not that i'm not a happy person it's just a hard time expressing it you know yeah yeah i definitely get it man so now that you're older how has your viewpoint or definition of a man changed from when you were growing up to where you're at now oh man it's uh i, I wouldn't say it's a total 180 because i do think you know i still carry a part of that that feels like you know part of my job as as the man and the man of the house or however you want to frame it is to is to provide right is to be uh, at least provide some stability um you know and and financial stability is part of that right yeah. um but really my um 
I view my job now, and I told my daughter this, you know, my, my job really is to just try to make her uh, the best human I can. You know, it has, it's, it's, uh, it's more about um, service, you know, in, in support of my daughter and my family, people close to me, um, the people who, who work with me and work for me. Uh, my role is more of, of, it's still a support role, but not just financial support. It's emotional support. It's mentorship to people who work for me. It's modeling, you know, kindness and generosity um, to my daughter, you know, things like that. Yeah. yeah, that's important. So you talk about your daughter a lot. Let me, and, and be honest with be honest with what was your biggest fear about being a dad when you realized you were going to be a father? Man, I tell you what, Derek, when they sent us home from that hospital after, after a couple of days, when I looked at my daughter, I said, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do with this kid. You know, um, I, I was, you know, I, I had never really been around kids even, you know, um, and she was born, you know, I, I was, she was born two days after my 40th birthday. So I had made it through my thirties and thought, man, I, you know, I guess it's just kids aren't in my future. Um, right, right. And then, you know, when, when my wife got pregnant, I saw, uh, you know, I thought that I was going to have, you know, I, I thought I wanted a son and we were going to play football and yeah, we were going to play, yeah. you know, and, and all that. And then when I found out it was a, a I was going to have a daughter, man, I was really, really grateful. Um, my fears around, um, around not just then, but, but now really are, um, you know, I, I still feel for her physical safety. You know, I still have some of that. Um She's tough, though. You know, I know she can handle herself. And um, and then I fear, really, my biggest fear, Derek, is that I'm going to repeat some of the mm. behaviors of my father and my parents. You know, I, I struggle sometimes with looking at her schoolwork and saying, why'd you get this grade? You know, and yeah. and, and I don't want to implant those same messages of perfectionism and all that that were implanted in me. Mm. Um, so my biggest fear, really, is is... Uh, scarring her yeah. in, the, in the way that I was scarred, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm, you know, that's great that you're mindful of that. What are some things that you do to overcome that? Man, I, it's just a constant reminder. And, you know, sometimes I, I remind myself after the fact, unfortunately, you know, yeah. um, but it's, it's a constant reminder is, uh, you know, one is, is, you know, I meditate a lot and I try to put a couple breaths between, uh, between my initial kind of reaction and then my response to her. Um, And if I can do that in that gap, in those couple breaths, I can remind myself of, you know, uh, of the message, you know, and and what I really want to say to her, not, you know, uh, a lot of the work that that we do is about intention and impact, right? And I, I want to make sure that, you know, my, impact aligns with my intention mm. uh, and if, like i said if i can put a few breaths in between there uh, usually i can remind myself of that and, and do a better job at least yeah oh, that's great man that's powerful brother so i know we touched earlier on vulnerability and i want to ask you compared to where you were when you were growing up or when you were going through your issues oh, yeah. what are your thoughts now on the words vulnerability and transparency Man, so so I uh, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown and her work. Yes, and yeah. and it was it was uh, it was transformational for me to to see how she frames vulnerability as a strength. Yes, um, yeah. you know, and and 
and that's kind of how I view it now. I mean, I, I understand that, you know, to, to be vulnerable really means to be brave and to take chances. Um, I used to view it as being afraid and being, you know, like you said, unsafe, um, either, either physically or emotionally. Um, but, but now I, I kind of have, have changed my views on it because of, you know, a lot of the work that she's done in it and in her writing, um, to, to reframe it as really a strength and a, uh, you know, it's a, it's an asset as yeah. instead of a liability. Yeah. That's wow. That's amazing, brother. That is amazing. So when it comes to masculinity, man, what is one piece of advice you will give men of all ages about masculinity? Um, you know, there's a, one piece, man, that's tough. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is, is, is it has nothing to do with bravado. Um, mm. You know, masculinity has, has nothing to do with physical strength. Uh, I think masculinity is, is really a, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think what masculinity is for me is uh, strength of character. You know, yeah. stability, yeah. Uh, and not that femininity uh, femininity isn't the same, right? Um, yeah. um, but I think masculinity really is. Um, you know, it's about. You know, it is support, but it's support. Like I said, a more holistic approach of support, not just, yeah. you know, what I can do for you financially or or physically. Yeah, yeah, that's all. Awesome. So, talk to us about the second story project. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the second story project is, uh, so, you know, you, you touched on a little bit. I've always been active in, in anti-racism work. Yeah. Um, and during the, uh, George Floyd protests, mm. um, I reached out to a man I know here. Uh, he's a, he's a therapist. He's a, a full leader in the mankind project. Uh, and, uh, he's a, he's a black man. And I said, Ernest, you know, what can we do? I said, I would like to do something to, to, to bridge differences, right. To get people on different sides of this discussion. How can we make that happen? And, um, and I, you know, in my mind, I was thinking like a workshop or something, something we could do, right. A discussion mm -hmm. that we could facilitate. And he said, man, I want to do something bigger. And, uh, and then we started talking about, you know, what really keeps us separate. What is it? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Um, and why aren't, why aren't the two sides talking to each other? Um, and then as we talked more, we realized that, that you know, we come from different experience, sets of experiences, but we're still just two men, you know? So we, there was a whole side of the conversation that we weren't hearing. So Ernest reached out to another, uh, a social worker that he knows here who is active in anti-racism mm. um, and her name is Ann Slater. So the three of us really formed the, the second story project. And our, our goal is to really get organizations uh, talking and thinking about um, not only what they believe, but how they came to believe it, right? Like, cause I know my experience led me here, right? Your experience led you to where you are, Derek. And yeah. someone who doesn't think like me has their own set of experiences that led them there. Um, and if they tell me their experience, I can't argue with that, right? We can argue politics and positions all along, but if you tell me your your real story, yeah, I can't, you know, 
<clears throat> I got to trust that you're telling me that you're your truth. Right. Yeah. And from there we can find common ground and we can grow together and we can build a more inclusive and collaborative uh, organization or community um, because we recognize the shared humanity in each other really more than anything. Man, that is awesome. And, and basically what I'm hearing from that is, it's, and you're right. How can you argue with someone else's experiences? Right. So that's a great point. So what I'm hearing is you guys are making space for what people have been through, for what yep. their experiences are and how that how that makes them move forward through life. Because yep. all we are is based off our experiences. That's, that's it. That, that's it. That's it. So you know, I was talking to a woman who she's a, a diversity, equity, inclusion manager in like a mm -hmm. fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, I said, what do you do with the people who don't buy in? Cause let's face it, Derek, there are a lot of people who mm -hmm. think that racism doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. that, think that white privileges doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. That think that all of this is, you know, it is just a bunch of BS. Right. Mm -hmm. So I said, what do you do with those people? And she said, her response was corporate tells me to not worry about those people. They'll catch up. Right. Hmm. And that's why it doesn't work. Yeah. That's why, that's why it doesn't work because you would never say to someone, what are we supposed to do with this guy who's at work act, operating unsafely? Right. Don't worry about that guy. Cause it'll catch up. Right. He'll catch up. Yeah. Right. So you got to hear that person's voice, right? Yeah. You, you, you got to include every voice and you don't have to say that, you know, you're not saying he's right or wrong. You're just saying, okay, tell me how you, why you believe that. I'll tell you why I believe what I believe and let's find common ground that we can move forward on. Mm. Uh, because I, you know, I think going in and, and doing a, a typical diversity and inclusion workshop and saying, this is how you need to operate to not get sued. And this is how you're supposed to talk in the workplace. That doesn't work. That's not, thank you. <laughs> because that's, that's it. That's an intellectual process. Right. Yes. And the work we're doing is an emotional heart piece. Mm. That's like trying to put Band-Aid on something in these stitches. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. And, and then someone else is saying you're not even hurt. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's wrong with you? You're okay. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You're just making all this up. <laughs> yep. yep. Yo, that, that's important. And I want to ask you, man. You're a white man, you know, for yep. those who don't know. <laughs> you're a white man, right? right? You know, I can see him. You guys can't. But Chad is white. You're a CEO. You're doing relatively well. You're in that bubble when people talk about what white privilege are, or just you're a white man. Why was this issue so important to you? Yeah. So, you know, I, I was fortunate to grow up in a house where we talked about it. I grew up in Northern mm. Virginia in a diverse neighborhood. My friends, you know, it was a diverse group of friends on our street. We had, you know, we had black families, we had Filipino families, we had lesbian uh, couples, we mm -hmm. had a white supremacist neo-Nazi who lived next door to me. We had a, a wider range. Right. But my mom grew up in Wisconsin, and when she grew up, her best friend was a Native American girl. Mm -hmm. And my mom would tell stories of, you know, they would go into the candy store and people would spit on my mom because she was hanging out with this woman, that, this little girl that they would call, you know, a savage or, you know, a mongrel and all this other stuff. So it was a, it was an awareness that I had growing up. Right. But, you know, we were, we were raised racially aware. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, so I had my, I had that view 
but then I also had the work thing that was just go to work and do your job. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, I think they came together. I was at a trade show uh, several years ago, back when we could do trade shows and all, you know, (laughs) and and, and my workforce is probably 70% people of color. Right. My competition's workforce is similar demographics. Yeah. Yeah. And I was in this trade show it's an industry trade show. And I looked around and just it hit me that everyone in the room, this big conference hall, everyone was white. Yeah. So where's the door, right? Where's the door that keeps our employees or a ceiling, however you want to define it? What's keeping the people who are actually out representing my company on a daily basis, represent my competitions companies on a daily basis in front of the customer? Yeah what prevents them from becoming the public face, right? What, what door keeps them out of the conference hall where you're trying to sell your businesses yeah. and sell your services. So that's when the two really came together. And I, I really got involved in diversity and inclusion work. Cause um, you know, I, I just know um, it's not enough to open the door, right? You got to open the door. You got to give everyone a seat at the table. You got to make sure everyone's voice is heard and counted the same and then it's about lifting ceilings, man, letting people rise to the highest of their ability, um, regardless of, of what demographic they fit, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's so powerful, man. And I, I thank you for the service that you're doing, brother. I thank you for bringing awareness and, and using your voice in this type of situation, man. So I love it, man. I, love uh, it. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I always say, you know, the once I accepted the fact of white, uh, white privilege, you know, yeah. And it, that the, the flip side of that is, is white responsibility. Now you know you mm-hmm. got it, and I do something about it. Yeah, man, that's powerful, man. That's also we need more people just to speak up. If, if you know something's not right, if you see that, speak up. That's yep. I said. I say it all the time. Stand up, speak up. Yeah. Um, you have a lot on your plate. You do a lot of things, man. You're, between being a dad, between being a CEO, between your other organization that you have going on. Talk to me, what are some things that you do to practice self care, man? To be able to recharge those mo- emotional and mental batteries doing all this stuff, man, doing every, all your daily demands. Yeah. So I talked a little bit about earlier about meditation. I meditate. I try to meditate every day. Um, <clears throat> my, my routine is usually in the morning. I'm a, I'm a morning doer. So I get up and get moving and, yeah. and, and do that stuff. But then in the evening when I, when it's time to wind down, I usually put my daughter to bed and then I go meditate and, okay. and kind of try, try to wind down that way. And then, you know, some other stuff I do, I read a lot. I, you know, I, read constantly you know my wife says my nose is in the book all the time um and then if i can man i go play a little golf so oh okay i get out there you know and and look that's supposed to be relaxing you know that causes more stress (laughs) (laughs) it can get frustrating man it can get frustrating chasing that ball around but uh but it is four hours of peace and quiet you know sometimes and yeah that's awesome I, i see the stack of books behind you so tell me oh, right yeah. now, are you what, 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 what's your current book that you're reading or what did you just get finished reading? So I just got finished reading. It's, it's kind of all over the place. So I read Cast, you know, uh, which is, I think, a great book by Isabel Wilkerson, okay. which really fought, which really describes if, if you haven't read it, man, I encourage everyone to read it. It really lays out how the American system of caste, um, even more so than race, was set up to keep a certain group of people at the bottom of the caste system. Mm. Um, and, and it, it kind of, it, but it, it relates it to the caste system in India 
and the caste system of Nazi Germany and just how it was set up. It's beautifully written, really uh, informative. It's a great book. Um, and right now I'm just about to start Mediocre, um, which is a book about, you know, the, the dangerous legacy of white America. So I read a lot of anti-racism stuff. Um, and I also read recently Morality by Jonathan Sachs, which is, which talks about, you know, kind of, uh, how, you know, cultures overall are, are uh, you know, how sometimes can be de defined by the morality of the culture or lack thereof and, yeah. and how that impacts how, how cultures thrive or fail to. Yeah. How that, that's, that's great. How much time do you say a week do you spend reading? Man, I probably read. So last year, I, I kept a, a, a journal of the books I read and kind of what the message was about the books. Last year, I, I read a little under a book a week. Uh, I ended up reading about, yeah, I read about 46 books last year. Um, I spend an hour a day, maybe. Just an hour a day? You got through? Yeah. Do you do you watch TV at all? Like how? What does that uh, look like? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I watch TV occasionally in the morning when I'm getting ready. Um, okay. And then, you know, I'm a, a big sports fan. So if there's sports on TV, I'll watch some sports. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I stay pretty busy, though, uh, between the, the reading and the work and, and everything yeah. else. So. Yeah, that's great, man. That's great. I'm an avid reader, too, man. Um, for me, it's, it's, you know, I could go through a book a week, but it's about retaining it also. Mm -hmm. So it just, you know, I try to not rush through it. Me personally, you know, you heard the, the saying, oh, CEOs read 52 books a year, you know, <laughs> read a book a week and this and right. that. So at one point in time, I was trying to keep up with them. Then I asked myself, well, if I'm just jumping right to the next book, how am I applying what I just learned? Yeah. Because you know, I read a lot of books on personal development and emotional and mental health and things like that. So that's, that's big for me, but you know, I, I feel it's very important to read, man. It's, it's so crucial right now. When you were talking about the mask that you're wearing, I'm reading the mask of masculinity by mm -hmm. Lewis Howes, which is a powerful book. Talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, talks about the different masks we wear when it comes to masculinity and the things that we've been through. So that's an awesome book that I'm reading right now. I'm about to finish that up. And then I'm going into better boys, better men by Andrew. Okay. Rina. Yeah. That's, that's 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 going to be. I'm, he actually got him coming on a podcast in a couple of weeks. So oh, nice. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading that book, man. That's going to be awesome. So, yeah, man, reading yeah. is so important, man. Yeah, and um, and back to what you said about retaining knowledge. That's why I started started keeping the journal because that's what yeah. I was. Yeah. You know, I, I I found myself just jumping right, jumping from yeah. book to book to book, and then I say, man, yeah. what was did I read? And I see a book in the bookstore and say, man, did I read that book yet? And and then when I found out. Like I bought a book, brought it home, and then saw it on my bookshelf. I said, "Man, I really need to start, <laughs> really start trying to retain some of this stuff." So that's what I do now. Is after you know, even while I'm reading it, and then when I'm done, is I, I have a journal that I kind of log, write my thoughts about it, and, and mm -hmm. kind of what what my understanding of the book was and things. So, yeah. um, and that helps. I find you know translating it from the red word, you know, from the the red page yeah. to the written page for me helps me retain it a little better. That's awesome. That's something I'm going to try to do now, too. I don't really don't keep a I take a lot of notes. I'm an avid note taker. I got them highlighted all in the book, but I think I'm going to start transitioning my notes and, and, and the things that I pick up from the book to, you know, what I mean, digital note taking or whatever yep. the case may be. So, yeah, run it through your own filter and see how it comes yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, that's important, man. So listen, besides reading and trying to be a good golfer, what are yep. some other things that you do that bring you joy, man? 
Oh, man. Um, I like to write. You know, I write I write some things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, watching watching my daughter do her uh, – she's in swim and she's in golf and, and watching her just play. We – we live in a neighborhood with a bunch of kids, man. They get out in the cul-de-sac and, and uh, you know, we got 20 kids out there some days and they're all playing. It just yeah. uh, brings me back to my neighborhood, you know, and, and the kids that I grew up with. Um, so, you know, those, uh, those things, are, are, there's, there's nothing better than that. And I have, you know, I have two dogs that I go play with just all the set, the, the typical stuff, man. I, you know, I, <laughs> I, um, I find joy, you know, I, I said earlier, I, I try to I struggle sometimes to express my joy, but man, yeah. I find joy in some of the, some of the smallest things. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. It don't take much to make me happy, man. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, man, is get on my motorcycle with a cigar, music blasting and just riding, right. you know, some, like just riding brother. Like that's, that's for me, man. That's something that don't require a lot. I don't need a lot to do that. It doesn't depend. Like, you know, right. long as, I don't care what the weather is. long as it's not wet out there on the ground, <laughs> I'm riding. It's yeah. It don't yeah, take a awesome. lot. And I, and I think that's what joy, the most important thing, it doesn't require a lot of extra things. <laughs> to yeah. Take, yeah. Yeah. You know what, Derek, what, something that just hit me when you, when you were talking, man, and maybe, maybe that's the key. Maybe joy isn't necessarily the addition of stuff. It's the removal of stuff. Oh, Come on now. Come on. With, I, I heard, you know, Kurt Franklin say one time, you don't want to focus on just happiness because right. happiness requires something to be happening. Yeah. So I like, yeah. So now like we're removed. It's just the simplest form. Yeah. It's removing yep. all the external, all the exterior things and just being satisfied and content with where you're at right there. Yep. Yep. That's powerful, man. So listen. No, that's, man. that's from you, man. You said that. <laughs> so last question, brother. And I, I'm yeah. asking in two different ways because it's funny, I get a lot of different responses to this question. So I'm asking the two ways, and you answer the whichever one resonates with you the most. All right. So what type of legacy are you leaving in this world? Or how do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done and you're gone from this world? Yeah. Um that's so that's one of the things a guy talked about in his book about morality. He said that you got you got resume, uh, you know, you got what, what how do you call them? Uh resume legacies and eulogy legacies right and uh you know um so i want to be you know the legacy i want to leave is is someone who uh who helped other people right who um you know i I think a lot of men spend our and people right spend our lives and especially in the workplace in the eye in the world of the I or the me, right? What can I do to get better? What can I do to get advancement? What can I do to get ahead? And then we get to a position of leadership and we immediately have to get into the world of we, right? Mm. And what can I do to make us better? What can I do to make the organization better? Uh, and that's where I want to, that's the legacy I want to leave is that I want people to know that, you know, um, you know, that, I did what I could to help them in, in the ways that, that mattered to them. Um, you know, I want my daughter to, to grow up, to be a kind, you know, loving person who recognizes the, the beauty in all individuals. You know, those, those are the legacy things that I want to leave behind. Um, you know, I think, uh, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm all that different in that aspect, man. I just want to, I want to leave, I want to leave the world a little better than I found it. 
man. That's awesome, man. I, I love it. Chad, I, I want to thank you for coming on today. I want to thank you for your transparency, for allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Chad, you are definitely a made man. You are motivated. You are accessible. You are disciplined and you are expressive, man. And I thank you for all the work that you're doing with your organization with, you know, cultivating, you know, equity and collaboration. And I love what you're doing with you, you know, with, 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 with racism and being an activist, man. Thank you for not just remaining silent in an issue that truly really doesn't impact you on the surface. And I thank you for stepping up and speaking up, man. I truly appreciate everything that you're doing, brother. Derek, man, back at you. I, I, like I said, man, I follow you a lot, and, and what you're doing is is making a difference, man. You are, uh, you're leaving a legacy, and I appreciate being part of it. Yeah, thank you, brother. Listen, you enjoy the rest of your day, man. It was good catching up with you, my man. You too. I'll see you soon. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I truly hope something on this episode resonated with you. It is my hope that you know that no matter what you're dealing with or what you're going through, you don't have to suffer in silence, isolation, and shame. We all have struggles. We all have things that we are dealing with and ignoring or avoiding what you're thinking and feeling and not allowing yourself to be vulnerable or express any internal hurt and pain doesn't make you more of a man. Please understand that. Also, please share this episode. You never know what someone is going through and something in this episode may help. Remember, no matter what it is or how hard it is, that's not all there is. You don't have to stay stuck or struggling. Your power is in your choices. So what type of choices are you going to make today? I'm here, my brother. You know I love you. Yes, you guess you are enough. I just want to be a good man. I can't relate to you, brother, because you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man.